Hello and welcome to the Self-Publishing Journeys Author Bootcamp, episode number two. And today I'm going to be revealing the 10 things that you need to know about MailChimp. Now, I certainly think about a year or two ago, probably MailChimp was the email sending service of choice for most authors, independent authors. And because I work with local businesses too, I can tell you that most local businesses use MailChimp if they use email marketing at all as well. But recently, at the time of recording this, MailChimp changed its pricing structure, which has made it slightly less attractive. And also, there's a new kid on the block, which is called MailerLite, which frankly is giving MailChimp quite a run for its money. So in this presentation, I'm not going to talk about MailerLite. I'll save that for a separate presentation. But I will tell you that MailerLite is my email provider of choice. So I'm using MailerLite to send my own marketing emails. But I teach MailChimp because when I'm working with small businesses, it's what they recognize. And in actual fact, I, I think with small businesses, as opposed to author businesses, I think actually MailChimp probably is still the correct choice. But I think for us as independent authors, probably MailerLite is the better choice. You may already be in MailChimp and that's fine. What I'm going to tell you today is some top tips. I'm going to share some top tips for MailChimp with you and also just one or two of the things that you can't use now in the free accounts uh, and that might help you to consider whether you want to be using MailChimp or whether you want to use Mail, MailerLite or any of the other many services that are out there. So I've used a lot of email marketing services in my internet marketing career. I think I started with Aweber, which is what everybody was recommending when I started email marketing in 2008 or thereabouts. I moved on to GetResponse, which I loved and still like. I've tried all sorts. I used MailChimp. I've, I use MailerLite now. I've also worked at scale with email marketing. So I, I've used some sort of pretty big um, you know, CRM, con uh, customer relationship management tools as well. So I've had quite a wide experience. My favourites, I'll tell you, are MailerLite and GetResponse. Those are the two services I've stayed with longest and have liked the best. And actually, at this moment in time, I think that probably MailerLite is the right choice for indie authors. But as I say, you may already be using MailChimp, which is fine. Let me give you some tips for that. But also let me give you the, the pros and the cons of MailChimp so you can make an informed decision when it comes to your email marketing. So let's start with point one. And the most positive elements of MailChimp have to be that it's free, that you get 2,000 contacts in that free account, and that you can send 10,000 emails per month in that free account. Now, to be honest with you, for most indie authors who are starting out on their career, that is going to be more than enough for a long time. You won't need more than that. And that is a huge advantage, I think, for using MailChimp. That free, that 2,000 contacts, that's absolutely fabulous. Now, recently, MailChimp changed their subscription model. And actually, I think they've just squeezed themselves out of the, the kind of new business market by changing that model. Prior to this change, I'd have to say that it was pretty well uh, level pegging with MailerLite and MailChimp. Um, so they've changed the definition of a contact now. And so a contact now is a an email address, somebody who's subscribed to your email marketing list, who is subscribed, unsubscribed or non-subscribed. So they all make up your contact count. So in theory, in, in, in your free MailChimp account, if you had 2000 contacts and they all unsubscribed, I know that wouldn't happen, but if they all unsubscribed, then you would have to start paying to use MailChimp because you would have no more space left, even though, because they're unsubscribed, you couldn't send emails to them anymore. Now, clearly that's never going to happen, but that's the principle of it, that you're actually paying now to retain old data as well as active data. That's the big difference there. Now, as I say, for free, 2,000 contacts, 10,000 emails a month, that's pretty compelling stuff. 
Now again, they've changed what they offer you now in that free account, and they will only give you one audience now. So for instance, until fairly recently, I was managing a MailChimp account in a corporate setting, and I think we had maybe about eight different audiences in that in that MailChimp account because it was a paid account. And sometimes it would be more convenient for you to have multiple audiences. Now, for instance, here's an example. I write thrillers, sci-fi, and non-fiction. I also have a podcast kind of internet marketing audience as well. And that podcast internet marketing audience is slightly different from my non-fiction audience. So potentially I've got four different audiences. So if I were using free MailChimp, I wouldn't be able to create separate audiences out of those groups that I'm using. But, but there are ways, and I'll talk to you about this a little bit later on in the presentation, there are ways that you can manage one audience to split it into different sections so it's not game over because there's just one audience but sometimes it is nicer just to have one audience it does make the management a lot easier of your contacts the the other thing which MailChimp actually had let us have and that and and to, to, I, I thought MailChimp basically was in danger of getting left behind a couple of years ago but they made some changes and one of those changes was, was that they released automations into free accounts and then more recently they've restricted automations again i think that's a shame in the free accounts because actually MailerLite gives you complete automations in your free account so again it's so many it was so many steps forward it's so many steps back now with mailchimp but you do get very basic single step automations and so again you know it's okay so when we when do we use automations? Automations are usually used for what we call onboarding. So I use automations in my MailerLite account. And if you sign up to any one of my email accounts, whether that be fiction, you know, non-fiction thrillers, whatever it is, then you will get an automatic welcome email. And then I've set up automated emails. And so maybe you get the first email straight away as soon as you register, and then it might pause for two days, and then you get the second email, and then there might be a pause of five days, and you get the third email. And I've set up all those automated emails um, so that they just release at set intervals. And it means basically my email marketing campaigns work on automatic. And we often call that onboarding. If you think of onboarding um, like sort of starting a new job, and being introduced to here's where the kitchen is this is where you get your stationery it's just like an it's like induction for new members that's what onboarding is and it's pretty important because as part of onboarding often you will have been offering something like a free book or an extract of a book when people register for your email list and so what that automated first email allows you to do is say thanks very much for subscribing here is the free thing that i promised you that's why automations are useful. But also further down the line, I think you need to be doing things in automations like, you know, here's my social media channels, connect with me on Twitter, connect with me on Facebook. By the way, did you know I did this book? Do you know I write these books? Here's a survey, all sorts of things like that, that you can build into your automations. Now, MailChimp gives you one automation. So that's about the, the least number of automations they could possibly give you to be useful. But it does at least allow you to set up your email so that you can say register now give me your email address and i will send you a free book and it allows you to send people that free book but it doesn't allow you to do any more than that so it's very 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 basic utility but nothing beyond that something that i really do like about modern email uh, services and, and MailerLite does this too is that they're now letting you set up a basic landing page or a basic website and MailChimp will let you do this on the free account now when you start any kind of business whether it's an author business or a, a small business whatever it is you're making a widget business it's really important from day one to have a place where you can collect email addresses now, a one-page website that simply collects email addresses is called a landing page. Or if you have a basic website, which frankly just needs to collect email addresses, probably say a little bit about you and what you do, maybe has some links to your books, it has a contact us page, maybe some basic information like that. That's really all you need on a basic author website. To be honest with you, as an author, you don't really need a massive amount more than that. Um, so it makes what MailChimp offers a bit like Wix or Weebly which are just basic website builders. Now, the problem with using MailerLite's or MailChimp's free landing pages or their uh, build your own website function 
is that you don't own the website so you kind of the reason they offer it i think in a free account is that once you've got your your website or your landing page on mailchimp it's going to be painful for you to leave the service so it, it kind of gets you hooked into the service really but at the same time if you went and advertised and said i'd like somebody to build me a website you'll find that no one's going to do that for less than a couple of hundred pounds or maybe four hundred dollars it's going to cost you um, some money to do that so you might not have that money at first. So I do think that these free landing pages and these free uh, website builders are a pretty handy thing to have on a free account. So point one then, lots of advantages on a free MailChimp account. I think really it's the automations that make me less keen now about the free MailChimp accounts. Point two then, let's take a look at some basic settings. And I just want to mention three things that you need to be aware of when you're setting up your MailChimp account. And uh, there's all sorts of things, obviously, within the basic settings, but three things I just want to flag up to you because I think it's worth you knowing about them. So the first thing in the basic settings is that MailChimp's going to require from you a physical address. And when I've been working with uh, solo operators in small businesses in my corporate work, this often stumps people because a physical address usually means your home address. Well, you don't really want to be putting your home address on all of your marketing emails. I certainly wouldn't do that, and I certainly wouldn't recommend that. It's the whole point of us having virtual businesses is that we don't have to say where we live or what our home phone number is or anything like that. Now, the reason for this is it's the the Can Spam Act, which is kind of the American regulations that require that we do this, this, this physical address for authenticity. Now, if you work at home and don't have an office, that could be a bit of a problem. You're probably not going to want to use your home address for that. Now, what MailChimp does do is it does give you alternatives for getting around that. Now, I will let you know that I use a service in the UK because that's where I'm based. I use a service called ukpostbox.com. Now the basic requirement is that you need to be able to put an address on MailChimp where you can receive physical mail. Not email, but physical mail. Now my UK postbox address, and there'll be all sorts of equivalents of this around the world. My UK postbox address basically gives me like a PO box number. But if you send me a piece of mail there, UK Postbox will contact me. And they will say, do you want us to scan that piece of mail? They, they usually show, send me the envelope so I can see where it's from. If it's obviously something confidential, I will pay a little bit to have it forwarded on to the post to my home address. Or they'll say, do you want us to open it and scan it? I usually say open it and scan it because I don't get anything important to my business address. And then uh, I can see the scan. And I only pay when um, I don't have to pay for the address at all, which is fantastic. I only pay when they have to open some mail for me or process some mail for me. So I find that pretty useful. And that's ukpostbox.com. And that will satisfy MailChimp's requirements for that physical address. And there are many other services depending on where you live around the world. But that's the one that I use. That's a good starting point if you want to get a feel for what you're looking for. I've used virtual addresses, by the way, for years. I've never used my home address in my business. The other thing that it's worth knowing about, and actually I only recently discovered this when I was just checking the, the dashboard on MailChimp before recording this, just to make sure nothing had changed. I wish I'd known about this because when I was sending corporate emails, the, the problem when you send a lot of emails, and when I was sending corporate emails, this, this was a curse. To be honest with you, I never have it in my personal author business. I don't get this at all. When you're sending corporate emails, this is a real problem because people put out of office assistants on their corporate emails. And when I was doing the corporate work with MailChimp, this isn't my own work that I'm doing, I used to get something like about 100 out of office replies coming back when we sent the MailChimp um, emails out because the, the MailChimp account was registered as my personal work email address. And what I've recently discovered, and I think this is a really great setting to have switched on, I wish I'd known about it sooner, I don't know how recent it is, it, it doesn't look like it's been there forever, or if it has, it's been well hidden. Um, but it's a function called Manage Automatic Replies. And basically, MailChimp says you can save space in your inbox by declining automated replies to your campaigns. And that's just also out of office notifications most of the time. And I would highly recommend that you switch that on because it saves you, depends how big your list is, but in my corporate setting, I was getting about 100 and I had to go through them 
obviously they're all mixed up with your normal emails. You have to go through them to make sure you're not deleting something that has a reply on it. And it used to be quite time consuming for me. So that's a very, very simple way. And I would recommend that you turn that on. It doesn't stop people replying to you with a proper reply, but it does stop those automated responses coming through to you when you send out emails. And then finally, this is something that causes a little bit of confusion with MailChimp. When you use MailChimp, you have to have, you have to set up, uh, or they prefer, a verified email address. This is for sending email through MailChimp. Now, I'm not going to bore you with all the the intricacies of email deliverability and, and what a specialist area this is about when you send marketing emails, making sure that they don't go into spam and making sure that you don't get flagged as a spam sender. It's, it really is quite a labyrinth of, of technicalities. And I know because I once paid somebody to set up my own server-based email sending. Um, and it seemed like a bright idea at the time, but it really wasn't. I'm just quite happy to pay services like MailChimp to take care of this for me now. But MailChimp, when you're setting up your account, it will say we need to verify your address. It basically wants an address uh, rather than my Gmail address, it wants a verified domain address because basically if I'm using Hotmail addresses and Gmail addresses, I could be anybody and I could be using it to send loads of spam and that creates problems for MailChimp. So they want you to have a verified email address on a domain that you can prove is your own. Okay, so that sounds like gobbledygook. What does that mean? Well, clearly my name is Paul Teague, so it makes every sense in the world for me to buy the web address paulteague.com and on that email domain name I can set up emails which are paul at paulteague.com, info at paulteague.com, sales at paulteague.com, you know all the usual array of emails that we can set up and because I own that domain name paulteague.com MailChimp can verify that through a testing process which it does and then it, it authenticates that I am a genuine user sending genuine emails through a genuine account. Now, if I use a Hotmail account, I could be any old Tom, Dick and Harry. So they, it basically allows them to preserve their good reputation on the MailChimp servers. Now, it keeps your campaigns out of spam folders also. It protects your reputation because others can't use your domain without your permission. You own your domain. You control the emails on your domain. So it just gives you um, some respectability, which frankly you know, works much better in email marketing without me getting all geeky about how email marketing works. So those are three things that you need to do or, or look at or pay attention to in your basic MailChimp settings. Moving on to point three there, this is just a fairly simple point and it'll be completely obvious to you when I tell it to you, but actually a lot of people don't even realise this. I don't know about you, but I actually mail people all over the world. And certainly when I used to use uh, GetResponse, one of the features I used to love about GetResponse is it showed me where all my email subscribers were on a map. If you sell books on Kobo, Kobo did the same thing. They do this wonderful world map and show you where you sell your books. Well, GetResponse used to do the same thing with your email address. And I could see that I had email contacts throughout the whole world. Now, the thing is, if I say that I want to send an email in the evening when people are sitting down to watch the telly, well, if you're in Australia, or America, or the Philippines, your tea time is different from my tea time. I and mean, if I send an email to you at my tea time, it might be coming to you at breakfast. And, and breakfast isn't, I don't think, the best time to be sending out emails, because usually when you wake up, your email inbox is full of all those emails that arrived overnight, and you're probably less patient with them, because your inbox is full, and you're thinking, oh, let's get rid of all this nonsense. You're less likely to read an email, I think, when it comes in first thing in the morning. So why I'm telling you this, is in MailChimp, it's important to set up your time zone correctly. So and it also, by the way, takes uh, account of where we're all changing clocks during the year as well. It's really important that if I want to send an email at six o'clock in the evening, that it that you receive it at six o'clock in the evening in your time zone, not my time zone. So always make sure that you set up the time zone correctly and say to, to MailChimp that you are sending emails out UK time or, or GMT. Um, uh, you know, Make sure it's set correctly or wherever you are in the world, set it to your time zone. And that way you will be sending out emails at the time you think you are <laughs> rather than the time that you hoped you were. Point number four then is to talk about MailChimp audiences. And when you get a free account in MailChimp, you get one audience on those free accounts, but you get tags, groups, and segmentation in that audience. Now, 
this can confuse people and I have to admit I've been doing this for years and to give you the definitions I had to just make sure that I was clear in my own mind so I I didn't confuse you when I explain what these are so I'm largely using MailChimp's words here because actually they put it very clearly so you've got one audience now as I said to you right at the beginning of this presentation if you think about the way that my personal audiences are split I've got fiction and non-fiction and within fiction I've got sci-fi and I've got thrillers and within non-fiction well, I've got my non-fiction books and then I've got my kind of internet marketing and my, my podcasting. So I've got different audiences within, they're all my audience, but they're all got different interests. And, and if you're reading my thrillers, you don't want me sending you emails about how to build a website. You've got no interest in that whatsoever. It's very important to split up your email audiences so the right people get the right message. MailChimp gives you a couple of tools to allow you to do this. And I'm pleased to say that they are within the free account. So the first way that you can mark people is in groups. Now, a groups list is uh, a way of organizing or uh, you know, sub, sub, subsections of your audience. So in my example, I might have one audience, which is basically Paul Teague's email contacts. And then I might create groups within that to have thrillers, sci-fi, non-fiction, podcasts, for instance. So I would have four groups within that audience. Now, if I were sending out an email that was just saying, Happy Christmas to all my subscribers, then clearly I could send that email to my entire audience. But if I was sending out an email to my about my latest thriller, I wouldn't want to send that to my sci-fi readers or my podcast listeners you know, all my non-fiction readers. So I would then just send an email to a specific group and that group would be a subsection of my audience and that group would be obviously my thriller readers. So groups are a kind of a top level way of organizing an audience. Now, the other thing about groups is that they are public facing, which means that your subscribers can see the way that you organize people. So if you want your contacts, your audience to self-select which emails they receive, then groups is the way you do that. So groups is a public facing way of organizing your audience. Now tags are built for your own internal audience organization. So your audience don't see tags, they're just for you, for you to organize things. So tags are labels that you create to help you to organize your contacts. So tagging lets you bring your own contact structure into MailChimp and to label contacts based on the data that you have about them. So they're totally customizable and you can create and assign them as you see fit. So I'm just uh, thinking how you might use tags. So for instance, let's say I might use tags if you think about one of my groups, I've got an audience, which is Paul T's contacts. I've got my four groups, and one of those groups is thrillers. And I might then add tags to say that a thriller reader has read my Morecambe Bay trilogy, but they haven't read my Don't Tell Meg trilogy, and they haven't read my standalones. So those tags then help me to internally organize my contacts so that clearly, if you've already read the Morecambe Bay trilogy, there's no point in me trying to sell you the Morecambe Bay trilogy. You've read it, that's going to be an annoying email for you. But if you haven't read the Don't Tell Meg trilogy, and I've got a tag there, so I can send emails to you based on the tag that says you haven't read the Don't Tell Meg trilogy, I can send an email out to everybody who hasn't read that trilogy and tell them what a fabulous trilogy it is and they should be reading it now. So tags are for my own personal internal organisation. And then within that, we've now got segments. Segments. Now, segments are filters that allow you to really, they're usually based on the behavior of your subscribers or your audience. So you, you that, that's how I would use segments. So I would maybe send an email to people who had um, bought a product from my e-commerce store, or I would send an email to people based upon where they um, signed up to receive my email. So for instance, this is another example. If I've got two forms, one is on my Don't Tell Meg landing page and one is on my Walk Bay trilogy landing page. Again, it works a little bit like tags. I might want to send an email 
to a segment of my audience who have uh, who didn't sign up to the on the Don't Tell Meg page, but they did sign up on the Walk and Bay page. So we're we're determining our sign ups by behaviour. We might do it by the date that they signed up on. So they might have been part of a specific campaign. So the date ran for a week, maybe in November. So the date's quite important because they will have responded to specific promotion. We might want to segment them by how many of our automations they've opened or clicked on, or whether they filled in a survey or a poll. Uh, Or we might want a segment of people who haven't opened any of our emails for the last month so that we can have a re-engagement campaign with those people. So my segment would be, have you opened an email in the last four weeks? And then if you haven't, I want to send you an email that says, um, let's get to know each other better. Some kind of, or here's a free gift, something to engage them to get them to open your emails again. Now, the, the segment that I most commonly use in email marketing is what we call a resend to no opens. A resend to no opens. And one of the things I love about MailerLite, by the way, is it lets you do this automatically when you set up the email. MailChimp doesn't do that. You have to do this for a segment. So um, we'll talk about this a little bit more when we're talking about the kind of stats that MailChimp gives you. But when I send an email, I'll leave it for a couple of days, and then I want to know who opened it and who didn't open it. Because if people didn't open it, I want to resend the email to them, usually with a different headline on it, so it doesn't just look like I'm recycling the same old nonsense. So, you know, because the first the first headline didn't get their attention. So I want to come up with another headline that will hopefully make them open the email. So a segment would be people who didn't open this email. And then you would then send them a, a follow up email if you want. So segments tend to be based on behavior. Tags allow me to completely organize my contacts and groups are public facing ways of organizing your audience. So you've got three very distinct things there and you use them for very different reasons. Let's go to item number five now. This is campaigns. And I don't know why MailChimp calls them campaigns because basically it just means emails. <laughs> That's all it means. It confuses the life out of me and I've been using MailChimp for a long time. But yeah, it's just another way of saying emails. I want to send an email. Now, when you send emails in MailChimp, you can use plain text or HTML emails. Now, the problem with HTML emails, I say the problem, most emails are HTML emails these days, but HTML emails often have a lot of images in, they have a lot of sort of HTML clutter. And the more HTML and code you've got on an email, I think, you know, people have done all sorts of tests with this, but sometimes it means they can get flagged up in the spam filters because if you're using images and links and things like that, you know, frankly, it's like it can be used if you were using it for evil, you could use it as a Trojan horse to deliver spurious content. So you have this other option called plain text emails. Now I'll tell you what my compromise is when we we, we get to the next section, section six. Um, But with plain text and HTML emails, I mean, most of the time you are going to send an HTML email, plain text emails are fairly horrendous to be honest with you they look fairly horrendous Uh, they look really really ugly with full links on and formatting and things like that but plain text emails sometimes get through the spam filters a little bit easier as I say I'll tell you about my compromise with that in a moment or two but it is important just to know the difference Um, in terms of what do I need to know about this send html emails because when you send an html email if somebody can only receive emails in plain text MailChimp will automatically detect that and give them a plain text ugly version of the email so I would always say send in html but use the tip I'm about to share with you in point six as well when you're using campaigns, you can create templates, uh, which I would recommend that you do. So if you set up a beautiful email that has maybe a big picture at the top, two pictures at the side, and maybe some social media share links at the bottom, and you think that's well, looking pretty neat, then I would recommend that when you get that lovely organized email, save it as a template. And then next time you do an email, you can just pull it in as a template and not have to build it from scratch every single time. So do use templates if if you're making nice looking emails. It will save you time rather than having to build an email from scratch all the time. I do want you to look at your reports. I'll talk about reports in a moment or two. Well, in, in item number 10, I'll talk to you about reports in MailChimp. In the free account, when you create an email, you'll just be creating a regular old email. And when you create a regular old email in HTML, 
you need to pay attention to the subject line. So your subject line should never say something boring like, here is our newsletter, all right? That is the most boring subject line possible. When you write a subject line on an email, make it compelling. Always think about the emails that are in your inbox and the ones that you open. They're usually the ones that have something that interests you or they intrigue you in some way. Think about the headline writers who do those headlines that you see outside news agents. It needs to be something that's going to make us open the email. You're you're competing for our attention here. You know how many emails that you get. So it's always best to think about your subject line whenever you send out an email. When I use MailChimp, rather than using the templated versions, I always use what's called the simple text version. I use a simple text version. And it um, it has it basically looks neat. It's a kind of what you see is what you get editor. But I tend not to put, for my author marketing emails, I often don't use, I use, a, I use a combination to be fair. For my monthly email, I do have formatted emails with images on of book covers and things like that. But for regular marketing emails, I just tend to use the simple text option because I want as many of those to get through as I can. And the simple text option is literally just text, text and a web link. Um, it's the closest thing you can get to a plain text email without it looking as ugly as a plain text email does. So for marketing emails, I tend to use the simple text option within MailChimp. Uh, don't alter when you go into the when you start to build campaigns in Mailchimp. You'll see this. Mailchimp by default gives you a headline area. It gives you a bod- what a, what we call a body text area, which is where your email goes. And there's a bit at the bottom that looks like it's got gobbledygook in. Um, never change the bottom block in Mailchimp unless you know what you're doing. That's all the legal stuff that keeps you GDPR, can spam act compliant. So don't mess around with that. Don't try and well, Mailchimp won't let you delete it, but don't mess around with it. Just just leave it there. It gives it automatically creates all the unsubscribe links and all the things that keeps you legal when you're sending emails out. When you write an email, when you create a campaign in MailChimp, before you send it to your subscribers, to your audience, always send a test email. Send a test email to yourself. Um, you know, I, even when I send myself test emails, I still make mess up sometimes. I still miss them because you've always got that kind of blindness, I think, to your own emails. But always send a test email. Always preview the email. Try and receive it as your customers will receive it because it just gives you that last sense check to make sure you haven't messed anything up. And then finally, in MailChimp, you can connect MailChimp to Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram so that it automatically shares your emails on your social channels. That makes all the sense in the world. Um, Share your emails on your social channels. And when you do share it on your social channels, please um, add images, write a proper... uh, you know, tweet or Facebook post, create sized images so that when it when it does share it to your social media accounts, it doesn't just post this link that says new e- email newsletter from Paul Teague and then the link to it. You know, try and write a proper social post that says something like, I've just created my new email newsletter coming up in this month's update, my brand new thriller, a special offer for readers and such and such and such. So, so make it look like a proper social media post and you can customise all of that in Facebook. Also use canva.com, freecanva.com to create correctly sized images for those posts, which you could do in MailChimp, so they look nice and they're going to get better engagement. Because the great thing about when you share your MailChimp newsletter is that people can read it and then subscribe to it through that social media link. It works very, very well for that. So it makes all the sense in the world when you're sending out that update to also share it on social media. Okay, let's move then into item six, which is a little bit more information about split testing, A-B split testing. Now, you don't get A-B split testing with the MailChimp basic free account. You've got to upgrade for that. And I want to talk to you about A-B split testing because it's, it's pretty important as a marketer. If you've got a promotion on, you really want to be doing split testing if you're selling books. Now, split testing is where we test different elements of the email campaign that we're sending out. So if I sit here scratching my head and I come up, this is my really important new book launch and I need to make as many sales as I can to my email list. And if I come up with my great headline on an email and my great headline is my new book, buy it now. That's the best I can do with my my headline. And I send out say a thousand emails and because it's such a bad headline, no one opens it and I make no book sales. And I've blown my chance of selling to customers because it was such a bad headline. 
When you split test, what it allows you to do is to send, if you've got say a thousand subscribers on your email list, it allows you to test usually up to four headlines, different headlines. And what MailChimp would do is it would send you, it would send headline one to a hundred people, headline two to a hundred people, headline three to a hundred people, and headline four to a hundred people. It would monitor what response each headline got. It would work out which was the best performing headline, and it would send the remaining 600 emails using automatically using the best headline, the one that worked best. And so split testing is a really important thing to do when you market. Now, until fairly recently, MailChimp let you have that in the free account. And unfortunately, at the time of recording this, they've taken it away from you. MailerLite lets you have it in the free basic account. And it's a really important marketing tool for you to use. Now, in MailChimp, MailChimp, when you've upgraded, will allow you to test your email subject line, your headline, the text in your email, the time that you send your emails out, and what we call the from name. So when you get an email, if you look in your Gmail or whatever you've got, you'll have a, you'll see the subject line. You might get a little bit of a teaser to what's in the email. And also you'll see who the email is from. Now, if you use in the from area, something like Paul Teague, if you use your name, then people associate the emails with you and they're more likely to open them. But if you use something like info or do not reply to this email, that looks pretty horrible. So what MailChimp allows you to do is to test the from, the sender name as well, to see what works better for you. And again, it, you know, it really depends because, for instance, my posh name that I use for my books is Clixio Publishing. So if I, I could test Paul Teague on Clixio Publishing, and because people will recognise my name from my books, I'm, I pretty well know that Paul Teague would do better than Clixio Publishing. Uh, you know, so it just allows you to test that. Rather than guessing, it allows you to test that stuff. So I want to mention split tests because they are important in marketing terms. And at the moment, MailChimp doesn't let you have them on the free account. And I think that's quite a big deal because when you get more advanced with this, you do want to have split tests. So it's important that you consider that when you're deciding whether you want to jump in and use MailChimp service or whether you're going to look slightly further afield. That also takes me to item seven, automations. And I've already told you that MailChimp will allow you to have one basic automation. And most of the time, in practice, that's going to be a basic welcome message, which is people will sign up to your to your email and you will send them an, e an email that says, thank you very much for signing up. Here is the free book that I promised you. And then there'll be a link to the book that leads to book funnel or something like that or to a PDF file. So it does allow you to do that. But actually, automations are really, really important. And I use these, I use these in MailerLine. So an automation, for instance, and, I, and I've used these in sales settings too. Let, let me use a sales setting for this. So I, I used to have a course online and um, I would, I had a sales page for the course. And, and so if you liked the course and you wanted to buy it, you could buy the course and pay for it and have access straight away. But I also said, if you don't want to buy the course now, sample it for free. So if they didn't buy the course, this little fly-in came in on the page and they were able to, I got their email address. And then what I then did is I sent them an automated sequence of something like seven sampler videos that allowed them to sample the, the training that I was offering. And, and so they, they were automations and they were automations based on somebody signing up through a specific form. Now, at the end of the seven days, I allowed people then to take different actions. Actually, I didn't wait seven days. I, I think pretty well each day at the end of the, the video, I said, have you seen enough? Do you want to buy now? You know, click here to buy now. And so what I did is I had, a, you can create forks in your automations. You can say, well, if they did this, then send them that email. If they did that, then send them this email. And so basically I let them run through the free videos at the end of each day, I would say ready to buy. So they could click that ready to buy. And if they didn't click ready to buy, they got the next email in the sequence. And at the end of the sequence, I, I basically had a, a sort of what we call a no brainer offer, which is like, well, you haven't bought it at full price. Let's remove the risk for you and maybe give you part access to the course you know, or a discount to the course to try and make the sale, seeing as I've got them on the email list. And all of this was done with automations and these forks, these behavior forks within automations. Now, if you're an author, for instance, 
you might have maybe say you've got three trilogies and people enter your automations depending on which trilogy they got. So in my case, it might be the Morecambe Bay trilogy. Let's just use two, two trilogies in this example, my Morecambe Bay trilogy or my Don't Tell Meg trilogy. So at the end of the Don't Tell Meg book, I say register now for updates and they register through a form. And when they register through that form, it creates a specific automation. And that automation says, thank you very much for reading Don't Tell Meg. Did you know I'd written another trilogy called the Morecambe Bay trilogy? And then they get a chance to buy it in that email. And if they don't buy it, if they do buy it, I move them onto a general email marketing list for general updates. And if they don't buy it, I send them a sequence of emails, which maybe teases the plot and shows them some of the locations and things like that. And then maybe I have a special offer on the box end and I make them a special offer. So automations are really, really powerful in your marketing. It's very important that you have automations. And again, MailChimp does with its free account, let you have that basic automation but it doesn't let you have multiple or more complex automations. It did do until recently. And I think they've shot themselves in the foot there as far as that's concerned. So to get those automations, you're going to have to consider a service like MailerLite, I'm afraid. Uh, but I would have to say to you that it, MailChimp might seem attractive in the first instance, but as you get more experienced with your marketing, you're probably going to want to use automations because they help you to sell an awful lot more. Moving on then to item eight in this list, and I want you to head to the integrations area in MailChimp, because that's where we will find the API. Now, an API, um, you don't kind of really need to understand them, but you do need to know what they are, because a lot of things run on APIs nowadays. Now, an, an API, to you and me, usually just looks like a long string of letters and numbers. It's like the worst password in the world. What an API does is it allows two softwares, which are not already connected to securely connect with each other so it's a an api connects two different softwares together in a secure way so basically um, a very basic example of that might be i want to connect mailchimp with another service like say facebook so that when people uh, sub uh, subscribe uh, through facebook their details are automatically connected to MailChimp. And to do that in a secure way, I would use an API. Now to you and me, an API, as I say, just looks like a bit of cut and paste, the world's worst password. It's really, really long. It's just a string of letters and numbers. Um, and you just cut and paste it and put it in the little box that says, paste MailChimp API here. And in the next section, section nine, I'll talk to you about where I use those APIs. Now, it's important to know about that because APIs allow you to power up MailChimp. They allow you to do more with your free account than you could do already. APIs connect to third-party services which will power up MailChimp for you. So to get to those, you need to go into your integrations in MailChimp. So it's, um, it's in account, extras, API key. Account, extras, API key. That's where you will find it. But you need to know, you might not need it now, but you need to know what an API does and where to find it in MailChimp because it is buried quite deep down. Let's move on to item nine then. And we've talked about campaigns, about sending out emails. We've talked about audiences, but how do we actually get people? How do we actually get our audience onto our MailChimp list? Well, to do that, you're going to have to use forms. They're going to have to register. And at the very least, you're going to say something like subscribe here, get a free ebook. And they're going to put their email address into a little form on your website or your landing page. They're going to click subscribe, and then they're going to be on your email list. So you need to have a form. And MailChimp in the free account will provide a variety of forms for you. Unfortunately, the forms are pretty horrible and they're pretty basic. They're not very good at all. And I'm even going to warn you off one of the forms, which is the pop-up form. So MailChimp will give you a pop-up form, which will, uh, you've probably seen these on other people's websites. When I come to a website and maybe I've been on the website for two or three or four seconds, or maybe I'm just about to leave the website, what, what's called a fly-in form comes. A little form just appears on the screen and says, don't, don't leave the website. Click here for free offers or click here to join our newsletter, whatever it says. Those are called pop-up forms. And MailChimp does those in the free account, but they're, hor they're horrible. They look horrible. Um, they appear every time 
that you come onto a website, which is not a good user experience. So uh, the local paper where I live used to use these forms. And every time you think of a local newspaper, you're constantly going to a paper to read stories. And every single time I'd get this pop-up form coming up saying, subscribe for our newsletter, subscribe for our newsletter. No, I don't want to. And I couldn't make it go away. So I hate those pop-up forms and please don't use them. I'm going to recommend something that you could use that's much cleverer in a moment or two. So they've got a very poor form selection, in my opinion, and, and it's a little bit technical too, I think. So what I would rather you did with MailChimp, and we're going to combine a couple of things I've told you already here. If you know where to find that API key, then I'm going to recommend that you use a third-party service. Now, I use on many of my sites a service called MailMunch, which you can use for free, and that will link to MailChimp via the API key. So MailMunch will say, if you want to use this and connect it with MailChimp, cut and paste the API key here, and then it will securely connect with your MailChimp account and allow you to add subscribers to a group or whatever it is you want to do with them. So MailMunch is free with paid upgrades, but you could use it very well for free. So MailMunch is the one I'm going to recommend to you as a starter if you're on the free MailChimp kit. But actually, if you want to get really ninja with your marketing, I'm going to recommend that you use Thrive Leads. Thrive Leads is my tool of choice. I do use MailChimp actually, but Thrive Leads is much, much more sophisticated as a marketing tool. But don't use Thrive Leads unless you know one end, you know, one end of a promotion tool from another you're better using the nursery slopes or doing it with stabilizers with MailChimp first of all MailMunch first of all I beg your pardon so MailMunch will either let you have what's called a ribbon a ribbon is when you come to somebody's website and this little strip across the top of the page appears and says subscribe here and it allows you to put your email address in or it lets you have a very basic what we call a fly-in form one of these forms that just flies out the top right hand corner of the page or from the bottom and then encourages people to log in and why i like MailMunch is it overcomes even on the free account it overcomes that problem of seeing the forms every time you can say to MailMunch, i don't want to see that form come every time so if somebody's already visited the site once you can say i don't want them to see that form for the next 30 days or something like that so at the very least use MailMunch. if you would consider yourself a more experienced market Marketer, use something like Thrive Leads. I use both of them. Um, one more thing about web forms, by the way, on MailChimp. Um, they used to have something that which was very nice, but it's not worth bothering with anymore. They allow you to make this Facebook form and it connects via an app to your Facebook business page. That was actually quite a handy thing to do. I used to teach it a couple of years ago. But to be honest with you now, um, Facebook pages, Facebook pages used to be like a a website that was based on Facebook but most of the time no one goes to your Facebook page anymore they just either they like your page if they're interested and they see your posts in their feed so there's not really a lot of point using the Facebook form anymore it used to be a fabulous thing not a lot of point these days so I wouldn't bother with that anymore the you know the chances of somebody going to your Facebook form on your Facebook pages are absolutely minimal these days never used to be that way but it is at the moment at the time of recording this that's item number nine then let's go to the last item in this list number 10 reports you need to look at your reports on MailChimp so when you send an email out MailChimp will compile a report with all the basic information that you need to be reading and and, and you don't need to be sort of overwhelmed by that I mean there's nice things in there like maps showing where all your subscribers are and things like that but I think having done this for many many years now there are some basic things that you're looking for when you're looking at your reports these are the key metrics I think when you're looking at your reports the other thing is by the way is when you're looking at your reports um really to get the full data you often want to be looking about a week after you've sent it because don't don't look at your reports you can look at your reports an hour after you sent an email but a lot of people will open your email a day after two days after three days after it takes people quite a long time sometimes to get to emails so when you look always look at the final report about a week after you can look at reports as you go along of course you can but but before you make any judgments about how an email performed generally give it a week or so to make sure everybody who has going to open that email has opened that email so here are the key metrics when you look at reports in MailChimp I think you want to look at your open rates your click rates your unsubscribes and your complaints those are the key metrics I mean, there are other metrics in there but those are the ones I look at so 
an open rate is did somebody open the email when they received it? And if you've got a terribly poor open rate, it usually means you've either got a terrible reputation, people don't know who the heck you are, um, or uh, your headline was rubbish, your subject line was rubbish. And I did mention the importance of that earlier. So a bad open rate tends to say you've got a terrible reputation, people don't know who you are, or you've just written a terrible, terrible subject line, which has bored them silly. There is one proviso with that, by the way, that if you get your emails in some some receiving tools if I look at Outlook for instance if you get your emails in Outlook you can preview an email without actually opening it and you get the gist of an email so you might have read the email and got the gist of it and but that wouldn't record as a read that wouldn't record as an open as far as MailChimp's concerned so there is some you need to be slightly flexible around those numbers but it's as best as we can track thing you know using the data we've got so do look at open rates they're an indication as to you know your reputation but usually I mean you won't have a bad reputation they're usually for you and me an indication of was our subject line enticing enough and then you can use the other technique that I've used if you've got a rubbishy open rate you can then use two of the techniques I've told you about if you're getting rubbishy open rates then you want to do a b split testing to experiment with writing better headlines or if you if you if you haven't got access to a b split testing and you get a rubbish open rate you want to do a resend to no opens using segmentation to allow you to do that so that you can write a better headline the second time around and try and get more open rates now click rates are the next thing so to get a click rate I've got to open your email in the first place so once I've opened your email did I click the link in the actual email now the the link is usually the call to action and by call to action it's something like buy my book read my blog post check out my special offer here did they click the link that led to whatever it was in your email and most emails if they're sales emails they ought to have a link in them a call to action I want you to do something the call to action might just be click here to go to my Twitter page whatever the call to action is pretty well every email you have should have a call to action on it so having opened the email how many went on to click that link we want to monitor unsubscribes because unsubscribes well if you get too many unsubscribes MailChimp may clamp your account because they will view you as a spammy account you're, you're providing poor value to your users so you want you need to check your unsubscribes now generally with unsubscribes you will always get unsubscribes when people start email marketing they get very sensitive about unsubscribes don't be too sensitive about unsubscribes it's just you'll always have that attrition in email marketing you'll always have some people saying oh, I'm not really interested in this and going if you send out an email that gets a lot of unsubscribes you know say say maybe you've told an off-color joke and all of a sudden you've got 35 unsubscribes that tells you not to send off-color jokes ever again because um you know people voted with their clicks they didn't like what you send them so always look for you always get a couple of unsubscribes but look for large numbers if you if you get large numbers of unsubscribes you probably did something wrong and you need to learn from that and then if you did get those large numbers of unsubscribes you probably want to look at your complaints too and to see what people were saying when they unsubscribe now most people when they unsubscribe will say i no longer want to receive these emails but if people are reporting you as spam or if people are saying sent offensive email or something like that, you, you need to be clocking that because effectively you can modify your behavior if you're if you're just wary of the complaints that people are giving you. Now, most of the time you won't get complaints. Um, you know, people have to be quite motivated to complain about the emails. Uh, but if you do get complaints, you just want to clock those and see whether there's anything you can do about them to improve your marketing. And you only don't get uppity about a couple of unsubscribes when you send an email out. But if you get a lot of them, um, more than normal, you probably did something wrong and you should check your campaign and ask yourself, why was that? So there you go, that's 10 tips and tricks about MailChimp. If you'd like to find out more tips and tricks like that, then just head for paulteague.net forward slash MailChimp. paulteague.net forward slash MailChimp. I hope those 10 tips were useful and stay tuned to the podcast feed for more tips, tricks for internet marketers and indie authors from me, Paul Teague. I'll speak to you soon. Bye-bye for now.